0: Hey, what's up, you guys? Welcome to my podcast, The Stranger Sessions. It's so cool that you're back for another episode this week. I know I missed last week's episode. I was on a trip again. We took so many road trips this this year, but uh, we went for Christmas break, and it was really fun. We had a great time, Uh, and I didn't end up doing a podcast episode last week. I was almost not going to do one this week either, but apparently we're doing it. So, it's gonna be late though because, you know, Christmas break and everything. Um, so today I'm going to be going over an interesting topic. Basically, I already finished the series, I guess, of the science stuff because I didn't even I come close to even doing half the book that I was going over, Cost by Russ Miller, but... I gave you guys all the information you need to get it from the library or buy it online uh, or just go on YouTube and watch the, what are they called that I put up there? Basically, the YouTube videos I put of Kent Hovind. So, you guys can watch all that stuff um, and find a lot of information on creation science and how real science actually supports the Bible and does not support all of the theories and beliefs of the secular world, um, regarding science. So, today I'm going to go way back to a topical study kind of thing, um, which I haven't done in a while. I've been doing book series and stuff like that for a little while, but today I'm just gonna go off of a topic that I had been talking about a little bit with a good friend of mine, um the topic is repentance and the power of repentance. Um, And I was like, you know what? I just want to stress that, right? Because my youth pastor, I haven't seen him in a while. He's from a different church than the one I regularly go to. Uh, He actually basically opened this up to me and he just showed it to me. Um, And I thought it was really cool and really amazing. And so I wanted to share that with you guys, because I had been talking with a good friend about it, and I was like, hey, I I have, I might have, like, touched on this topic before, but I really want to do an entire episode just all about it, just to show us the power that repentance and confession of sins holds, and how much God, like, um, how much that means to God, how powerful that really is. So, if you're interested in hearing more about that, stay tuned. Alright, let's get started. So, um, basically, I'm mostly just going to be going over the entire story of David today. I bet a lot of you are really familiar with everything that happened to David and happened in his life and his relationship with God. You can read all about that in the Psalms and you can read all about it in First and 2 Samuel Um, it's not a topic that is usually overlooked. David's story is really a powerful one. Um, but I want to go over it from a different point of view than I think it's usually, well, I don't know. I'm just going to go over, okay? Um, but basically, I just want to show you guys that David was a man after God's own heart he was loved by God, he was taken care of by God, and he put his entire life and trust into God's hands. Um, But at the same time, David was nowhere near perfect. He created some big drama in his time, and he made some really low mistakes, honestly. But I just want to open this up to you guys that We're people. We're going to make a lot of mistakes, and some of those are going to be really big, fat mistakes that some people don't think we could ever come back from. I know this from experience, not necessarily... I just know this from an experience that I had to go through last year, the year before, but somebody can make a really big, fat mistake that will stay with them and have an impact on the rest of their life and the rest of their family's life and the rest of their friends lives depending on how close their friends are and how involved they were but they can that can happen and it happens very often let me tell you there are i feel like if you come up to any christian and ask them about their past, or something they've gone through, or some kind of mistake that they made, like, they, I feel like each one of us is going to have that big, fat, like, time in our life when we made it, horrible, horrible mistakes, and maybe not everybody, like, I know some people that don't have that, but I just wanted to make it clear that you aren't the only one if you have gone through something like that and also you can still be absolutely beloved in God's eyes and you can still be a man or a woman after God's own heart but I want to also stress something about how David replies responds to everything that happens um, he's not perfect. He often makes wrong choices as you read, but he also makes some very good ones that end up impacting him and his life and his choices very, very heavily. So, let's get started. First of all, today I was doing my uh, daily Bible study, and it's the first chapter I I read daily is Leviticus, because I was going through it, Um, but Leviticus 26... 26 40 through 45 says well first of all the entire chapter of Leviticus 26 is really stressing promises of blessing if uh as a reward of obedience and also promises of consequences for disobedience so he stresses he really stresses what will happen first of all if, the, uh, if Jerusalem, or, I mean, Israel, sorry, obeys God, then they will have many blessings and protection and peace and safety, and you can read it yourself, but I bet you won't. <laughs> so, I'm going to read to you a part. Uh, but the second part of it is that if they disobey, what kind of consequences are going to... Um, come to them so after explaining all of that and stressing it he basically ends the chapter with this right here but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me this is god speaking and that they also have walked contrary to me and that also i have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them, and will enjoy its Sabbaths, while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt, because they despise my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them. Abhor them, to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But th- for their sake I remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of their nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. There are oh, These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of, the, of Moses. So he's saying that if they confess their iniquity and humble their hearts and accept their guilt, he will not cast them away. But he also tells them that they will still face consequences. In the life of a Christian, we make mistakes and we are forgiven them. We are completely clean of our sin if we call upon the name of the Lord because he 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 died for the sin. He paid the wages that were required for the sin that we have committed. He took our place. He basically took the consequences. But that doesn't mean that whatever we do or did or or are still going to do won't have an impact on our life. We won't face those consequences. Like, we are forgiven, right? And we do not... As long as we are trusting in Jesus as our Messiah and Savior, we do not face the second death, um, which is hell. But we might still face those consequences that come from the sin. So, let me give an example. If your parent told you something and you didn't listen, this is how it was for me as a child you would probably say that you were sorry because you were sorry and you desperately did not want to get a spanking. (laughs) And so your parents forgive you, but in order to teach you a lesson and so that you would still remember the consequences you had to pay for the sin that you had committed, they still give you a spanking despite the fact that they love you and despite the fact that you have been forgiven by them, you still are punished so that actually for your own good, that you would remember and that you would make choices that are better, you know? I don't think it's different with God. God actually encourages discipline for parent, uh, parents discipline their children. In the Bible, it's actually biblical to have very strong discipline in place for children. It's actually better for them, contrary to everything that the world is doing. Um, But what I'm saying is that sin still has consequences despite forgiveness. So, I'm not saying that you guys can go out and do whatever you want to or feel like doing because, I mean, you can. We are free will. Go ahead if that's what you choose, but I deeply and strongly discourage it because despite the fact that you are forgiven and any sin you commit is washed away before God, you will still, most likely, it's not always the same. I'm not God. I don't know how everything works, but consequences often still come into play. Here's an example, another one. This is a true story. I won't be naming any names for, for the sake that I don't want to be involved with anybody. But there is a family, a really righteous family, who uh, follows God with all their hearts. As far as we can tell, we can't see your heart. So, as far as from a human perspective, you can tell, they're really trying to serve the Lord with their lives. Um, this family set themselves up just to shine their light and, uh, just provide guidance and wisdom for other families. And they really impacted my mom. And a lot of the things that they had in play, she also put into play. And I feel like those things really benefited my childhood and our family. Um, and I think God really used that family for, Uh, his glory and just to benefit and bless our family but the devil works hard on people who are a public example and shining their lights hard and so one of their sons ended up getting involved with some sinful activities I'm keeping this really vague (laughs) but he did Um, and it really destroyed a lot of the public example and everything, but that guy, he's most likely saved. I can't say, I can't judge a heart, but I would say that he's saved, but he just made some really bad decisions, and he fell into temptation, and he fell into the sin, and it really impacted and hurt many people, not just himself. Oftentimes, your sin really affects everybody around you so sin has consequences despite forgiveness i would say that he is definitely forgiven god died for that sin on the cross jesus died on that for that sin and yet he's still facing the consequences his family is facing the consequences his kids his wife his um and he is facing the consequences he is now i, I believe i'm not completely sure but, um, I believe he is going to be serving time in prison for what he did, uh, and what he was found guilty of, but he sinned and consequences are being given and they're playing out in life despite the fact that he is most likely saved and forgiven. So, that wasn't the point I was going to try to make today, but, uh, that's something i guess i just read i mean said (laughs) so i just wanted to stress the fact that consequences usually are a part of sin but forgiveness is it plays out in that as well and now let's talk about repentance and how how powerful that can be and how much that means to god so story of david everyone knows the story of david right um Acts 13, 22 clearly states that God saw David as righteous in his eyes. Uh, this is, I believe Paul or someone was retelling the story, but he says for, oh wait, no, that's the wrong thing. Um, and when he had removed him, meaning when God had removed Saul, the previous king, he raised up from them, David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Now, David did some things that weren't necessarily, I think, God's will, but God greatly used them. And I'm not going to try to contradict God there. I don't know what he's trying to say. Or, I mean, what he did say and what I'm trying to Okay moving on. (laughs) So, God clearly states that David is righteous before his eyes, and he is a man after his own heart, right? But do you know what kind of things David did in his life? If you don't know, then I shall tell you right now, and if you do know, I will still tell you. Okay, so, David, first of all, had many wives and concubines, contrary to what God has and had commanded. God obviously shows in the Bible that one man should have one wife, and one wife should have one man. There is no going around that, despite the fact that many of his people disobeyed that. David had many concubines and wives, um, and his son, as you probably know, had a thousand wives in all counting concubines. I think he had 700 concubines, 300 wives. Anyway, if you don't know what a concubine is, it is a second hand wife basically um someone who does like cooking cleaning and all kinds of stuff like that and but does also bear children so it's it's all kind of crazy anyway so david had that first of all and then besides regular stuff that people do because we're people like you know all kinds of stuff David did something absolutely, I don't know, it just seemed, I don't know what I would explain, like, how I describe it, I'm just going to read it to you, you almost like they already know what I'm going to read to you, but, uh, let's see, what, what chapter was that even? Okay, here. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. So this is 2 Samuel chapter 11. So when I was hearing this story, somebody stressed the fact that David remained in Jerusalem. Uh, it said that at the time when kings go out to battle, So it sounds like David decided to stay in Jerusalem, despite the fact that usually a king would go out. So we don't know if that was something that he should have done, or I don't know it anyway, or shouldn't have done, if that was a bad decision in the first place. But it turned out to be a bad decision because of whatever happens next. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman was i mean the woman conceived so she sent and told david and said i'm with child so this all played out really quickly you know he decided not to go to the battle where he probably should have been went out on the rooftop saw a lady bathing why was she bathing on the roof i don't know is that normal i don't know i don't i don't know okay anyway he allowed himself to take pleasure in somebody who was not his wife Um, and then he had her come to him, and he fell into the temptation, and he basically was, had sexual sin with her, and, uh, she was married to someone else, and he was married to a lot of other people, um, so it was just an awkward situation all around. So, the woman was actually pregnant now. And her husband was not currently living with her. So, that was a problem. So, then David said to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to the house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Job and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So, Translation or summarization, whatever. David got a lady pregnant who was not his wife. And so, her husband was actually in the battle, so he couldn't have gotten her pregnant. Which means that when Uriah would come home and realize that his wife was pregnant, not by him, you know, there'd be some drama and some trouble. So, David tried to cover up his sin. And that always goes really badly. He brought Uriah home from battle. And he decided to try to make him go home to his wife. And cover up the fact that it was him who got her pregnant. Um. And because Uriah was faithful to his fellow soldiers and everyone there. He did not go home. He went and slept at the door of the city or wherever they were Um because that's where all his fellow men were and he was faithful and loyal like that uh, and was not willing to enjoy eating and drinking and pleasure with his wife while his soldiers were all at like outside sleeping in tents and stuff uh, and protecting whatever they you know You understand what I'm saying? He was being a righteous, upright man by doing this. Not that it would have been a sin for him to go home and be with his wife or whatever, but just the fact that he was, he wasn't willing to do that while all his men didn't have the same uh, opportunity to do so. So, then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. At the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. So the next day, David tries again, and he gets Uriah drunk, and hopes that he will go home to his wife and, you know, cover up his sin. That doesn't work again. Despite being drunk, this guy is really, you know, loyal to his people at the door and everything or wherever they are <laughs> in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Job and sent it by the hand of Uriah and he wrote in the letter saying set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die so it was while Job besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that were there were valiant men then the men of the city came and out and fought with Job and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite also died so, sometimes, when you're trying to cover up sin, things can get really bad. You start to lose your perspective of what really is important and don't don't understand the fact that confession and repentance from sin um is really powerful and if you keep trying to hide that sin often much more trouble and hurt will come from it instead, and in this case, it came to the death of two people, actually not even two, a bunch of soldiers, Uriah and someone else later, which I will tell you about, um, just because David fell into that temptation, uh, so... At the end, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband, and when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So then, I kind of always see this in a VeggieTales kind of point of view. Remember, I don't know if you've watched VeggieTales before, but remember that time when uh, it was the king with the duckies? It was Larry, and he had the king. He was a king, and he was obsessed with rubber duckies, and he had, like, a cabinet full of them. But then, he saw a little boy across the street with one little rubber ducky, and he went and stole that rubber ducky from that little boy, and he had a bath with that rubber ducky. Um, and then Paw Grape, who was Nathan the Prophet, came. Guys, you if you haven't watched Tales, you really should. It was amazing. Uh, Pagreith came and sang him a song about, there once was a man, a very poor man. And so he sings a song about a guy who had, uh, well, let me read it to you. It says so in the Bible. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, there were two men once In one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, or duckies, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb which he had brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So, basically, the story is there's this big, fat, rich guy, and he had, like, a ton of... Okay, I don't know if he was fat, but whatever. He had, like, a bunch of sheep and flocks and herds, and there's the other poor guy who had one little sheep, and he loved her so, and he really was friends with that little lamb. And a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man wanted to make some food for the traveler, but he didn't want to take from all of his millions of sheep. So, he went over to this poor guy, took his little friend lamb, made him dinner... And so, that was the story. So, David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. That's how it went in VegTales. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. Okay, so quickly here, God says that he gave the David the master's wives. That really confuses me because God clearly says that man should only have one wife, and I don't know why he would give David like a bunch of wives, so I'm really confused by that. If anybody knows that, please email and tell me why. And gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too much, I mean too little, God says, And if that had been too little for you, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Am. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives from before your eyes, and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it in secret, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. However, because of this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. So, the son that Bathsheba had with David died. (sighs) Sad day. But I wanted to point out that the only way that David responds is, I have sinned against the Lord. This is his response, not, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't this, you know. He says in, in sorrow, it doesn't say that here, but I can imagine that I have sinned against the Lord. Now, this is not necessarily super significant because the previous king before David was Saul. Saul did several things against the Lord. I won't be going over that today, but every time he did so when Nathan told him, he would say, oh, I have sinned, I have sinned, or I have done wrong in the sight of the Lord. But the difference between Saul and David was that Saul said it from a place where it was the last resort. It was the only thing he could do left. He couldn't, you know, it was a, it was a, like he wanted to get out of it. Whereas David would, let me read it to you actually. Psalm 51. Let me get there. Psalm 51. I'm using a real Bible right now. So it takes a little bit to flip. Alright. Have mercy upon me, oh God. According to your loving kindness, this is after after um everything had happened or after he had gone into Bethsheba, it says here. "'According to the multitude of your tender mercies, "'blot out my transgressions, "'wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, "'and cleanse me from my sin. "'For I acknowledge my transgression, "'and my sin is always before me. "'Against you, you only, have I sinned, "'and done this evil in your sight, "'that you may be found just when you speak, "'and blameless when you judge. "'Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, "'and in my sin my mother conceived me. "'Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, "'and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom.' Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make, my, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgression. Uh, transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, that the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Now, if you're not listening, if you just tune me out, tune in right here. This is probably the most important part. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These O God, you will not despise, and then there's two more verses, but I feel like they don't necessarily well, do good in your good pleasure, design, build the walls of Jerusalem, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness with the burnt offering and the whole burnt offering they shall be offered to the bulls and your altar, okay, so God delights in a broken spirit when it comes to somebody who has sinned or sin a broken and contrite heart, someone who despises what they have done, what they have committed, somebody who, um just uh, just hates their sin and has repented of it completely, um, and asks him to cleanse Instead of saying, oh, I've sinned and hoping that God will not punish, but instead asks God to help them to heal from it and to become strong and be able to overpower it. Someone who just maybe just weeps before the Lord and just cries out and says, I have sinned and I do not deserve your mercy, but if you will have mercy on me, Lord, I, I will be greatly indebted to you. It's it just like someone who's really humbled themselves before God and just, you know, with a broken heart, just called out to him and and confessed and repented and hated the sin that they had committed. That is powerful. And that's just basically what I wanted to go over today. Just the power of that, that God delights in that when it comes to sin. Because we're people, we're going to sin all the time. And some will be really great sin, and some will be really little. I don't think it makes a difference to God. But something David always did, despite all the hardships he went through, all the drama that happened in his life, everything that was going on, he would call upon the Lord. He would call upon the Lord to be his strong power, his his protection, his fortress. He called upon the Lord to be strength and god was his everything and despite the mistakes he made and the things he went through he would always turn to the lord um and i think that really really impacted his life and the way we see him now uh he made the correct decisions when it came to who to turn to in times of trouble and in times of rejoicing and in all the times he might have made some mistakes he definitely made some really I don't think he could ever forget that he murdered someone to try to cover his sin. Um, so, but the fact that he would turn God and he depended on God and he would come to God humbly with a broken heart and just confess and repent of everything, I think that was really powerful and that was righteous in God's eyes. Um, that's pretty much all the time I have for today. But remember, kids, God made you special and he loves you very much. I just want to leave you with Psalm 119, 9 through 16. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to the word. Well... With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth and I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this session. Um, hope you learned something. Hope God worked through it. I I think that life is not going to be easy. But I think that as long as we look to God in everything, in the hard times and the good times, no matter what, we're we're going to be okay and maybe God will be able to use our lives the way he used David's. Okay, you guys. I have to go. I'm, I think I'm going to go eat something. But I hope you guys have a very good week. hope you have a very happy holidays. I know Christmas is over. But Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And whatever else. I will probably see you next year. <laughs> I know. Such a funny joke. But, yeah. I'll see you next week. Most likely. Wednesday. 12 p.m. And peace out, you guys.